0: There'll be two readings this morning. The first one's from the book of Isaiah, and you can follow along on the screens or on your devices or Bibles. So, Isaiah chapter 64, verses 4 to 9. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, And have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. And the second reading today is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins.
1: Thanks Mike and uh, good morning everyone. Paul Cooper's my name, I'm one of the pastors here, most people call me Coops and um, well it's great to be back. I was thinking this morning it felt like I hadn't been here for ages and I realised it's because I haven't been here for ages. So uh, <laughs> it's been about four weeks I think. So anyway it's great to be back and to see you all again and a really special welcome to um, all of the people that have joined us this morning, uh, maybe for the first time all the grandparents and all the families. It's really great to see you all here and um, Looking forward to catching up with you uh, over morning tea. So why don't we pray as we get into the passage? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning for giving us Jesus, who leads us in forgiveness. And Father, we pray that you'd help us hear your words to us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So i um, just listening to that passage that was just read. Uh, I thought I'd ask. You know, have you ever felt yourself in a situation a little bit like the Apostle Peter there? You know, like you've um, asked a question thinking that you've, you've got the answer, you know what the answer is, but when uh, the answer is given to you, it's actually far more challenging than you ever thought it would be. I wonder if you've ever been in that situation. I definitely have. Uh, I remember um, Lachlan, my, my son, who um, was six, so this is years ago now, and he was really keen to play soccer. So we enrolled him in the local soccer club and we went up and uh, on registration day and they divided all the kids up into the groups and they realized they were short of coaches and so uh, they were appealing to the parents, like we just need someone and not just once, like many times, because we were all very reluctant. And uh so Bron, my wife, whispered to me, We could probably do this. And I said, I don't know anything about soccer, I've never played soccer. And Bron said, We can read a book and that wasn't the funny part <laughs> anyway that's good keep laughing it's coming up so she says we can read a book and we'll do it together you know like a team thing couple thing and this is where I asked my question and I thought yeah okay how hard can it be a bunch of six-year-olds tired after school running around an oval doing training how hard can it be so I put up my hand and became the coach of the under sixes soccer team and not bron's fault because we had heaps going on at the time but every time it came up to soccer training bron had things on and so i had to go solo so i had kids wrestling on the oval i had balls being kicked into the other training sessions i had balls being kicked at me I had kids practicing somersaults and even you know i had a few jumping on my back when i would just you know turn away and i wasn't looking and on top of all that i had no idea how to play the game of soccer So I'd referee on Saturday, I'd make terrible calls, the parents would abuse me, and I can tell you the end. I prayed for the end of that season to come. I thought I knew how hard it would be to coach under sixes, but it was far more challenging than I ever expected, and I didn't do it again. But I reckon in this passage, Peter feels something similar to that, the very beginning of this passage, not about soccer. But about forgiveness because i think peter here he's he's grasped this idea that jesus is speaking about he's sort of got his fingers just around the edges of it in this chapter that we've been looking at here in the gospel of matthew chapter 18 it's been talking about christian life together and i think here we see this glimpse you know peter's he's correctly realized that if you're going to participate in a united community with good relationships, it requires forgiveness. That's the only way that that's going to work. That's how a community is going to come together. It's through forgiveness. And so I think Peter is on the right track when he says this in verse 21. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So he thinks he knows the answer to his question, but the answer that he gets is far more challenging than seven, isn't it? The Jewish rabbis back then, they would teach that you should forgive up to three times. And so Peter here, he's more than doubled the number, hasn't he? He's more than doubled it. And he asks Jesus, what's the limit to my forgiveness, Jesus? And Jesus sets this really high bar, much higher than what Peter must have expected. He says 77 times. 77 times so this brings us to the first point uh, that i'd like us to look at this morning the problem of forgiveness so that's our first point the problem of forgiveness so i think we see here peter he's realized that forgiveness is really important it's very very important how long do i forgive my brothers and sisters before i don't have to forgive them anymore and i reckon that's a pretty natural question isn't it because i think deep down most of us would feel there is a limit actually you get so many chances then that's it you know we've gone as far as we'll go no more forgiveness but jesus here says 77 times and i don't think he means you know keep a tally of that and when it gets to 78 then you don't have to forgive them anymore i think what jesus has done here he's picked this really big number to make this point that there's not a limit to the number of times that forgiveness should be Given to somebody. There's no limit. If I want to limit my forgiveness, then what I'm really saying is, well, it's about me, ultimately. And it does often feel easier, doesn't it, just to cut someone off than deal with it. But actually, it's about restoring relationships. And that's better for the community, and actually, it's better for us in the long run, anyway. And so Jesus is saying here to Peter, now your forgiveness for those who sin against you should be unlimited. And then he goes on with this story that we just heard about the king to illustrate the point that he's making. So he's talking about this king who's looking to settle some debts that are owed to him. And in verse 24, we see there's this man in the story and he owes the king this enormous debt, 10,000 bags of gold. And sometimes that's translated as 10,000 talents. So a talent back then was worth about 20 years of a labourer's wage. That's one talent, right? 20 years. So if you do the maths on that, 10,000 talents would be 200,000 years of a labourer's wage. 200,000 years. This is a massive debt. And so I wonder, could you imagine what it would have been like for that first servant? The king has summoned him into his presence. The armed guards would have escorted him in and he approaches the king sitting on his throne who peers down at his servant. Now what would he say? What could he say in that moment? There's nothing. It's hopeless. There's no chance for this man. So the king orders everything that he has should be sold. Every material possession that he's got needs to go. And then the man's thoughts, no doubt, would have turned to his family sitting at home. And he realizes they'll be taken as well. And he'll be left with nothing. And so he falls on his knees and he begs the king to be patient in verse 26. He says, I'll pay it all back. But he can't, can he? It's an impossible task, 200,000 years. But he says, I'll pay it all back. He's terrified of the penalty and the king sees that and he's so full of compassion he's so full of compassion what he does next is amazing because he doesn't just let the man go he doesn't just let him go to make whatever repayments he can over the rest of his life no what he does is he cancels the debt he lets the man go and he cancels the debt nothing owed do so I wonder how that man must have felt as he walked out from the king's presence. He must have felt wonderful, right? Freed from the burden of that debt, losing nothing. It must have been a wonderful feeling. And so what makes what happens next in this story shocking. Because he goes out and in verse 28, we read here that he finds one of his colleagues. It's a fellow servant. And this person owes him a hundred silver coins, which in the currency back then was a hundred denarii. And a denarii is about one day's wage for a laborer. So this guy owes about a hundred days wages. It's a lot, but it's something that's repayable, right? hundred days wages. And so the first servant's reaction to this, it's sickening. He's just been released from the king's palace. He's walked out scot-free, debt canceled. And the first thing he does is grab this fellow servant and chokes with him. He chokes him and the man pleads with him, but his pleas are ignored. And the servant has this man banished to prison. And we don't get told in this story what the servant may have been thinking. Maybe it was just greed that drove him to demand payment. Maybe it was that, or maybe he justified to himself what it was doing, you know, sort of like, well, my debt was massive. I could never have repaid it, so fair enough that I got let go, but this is repayable, so the guy should repay it. I think often we're good at justifying our own actions. But what the story does show is that when the servant, that first servant, was brought before the king, what he wanted was forgiveness. He was wrong. He was in the wrong, wasn't he? He owed this massive debt, but he didn't want to be punished for it. He didn't want justice at that point. What he wanted was forgiveness. And he got it. But when the situation was reversed, when he was wronged, generated these deep feelings of self-righteousness. And they spilled out into this violent choking of the man. Now, when he had been wronged, the servant wanted justice. Forget about forgiveness. Forgiveness, well, that was okay when he was in the wrong. But when he was wronged, what he wanted was only justice. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? That first servant's different reactions in those two different situations. And so, what about us? What is it that we feel when we wrong someone compared to when someone wrongs us? And so the story that Jesus tells here finishes and that first servant that ultimately wanted justice then receives it. Because the king finds out what happened and he says, I cancelled all that debt because you begged me to. I showed you mercy and compassion. Shouldn't you have had compassion too? And so now justice is served. And that first servant is handed over to the jailers. And it means he'll be there for a very long time, doesn't it? Because based on those maths earlier, he can never repay this debt. And he receives this harsher penalty than he'd originally been given handed over to prison this servant that wanted justice without compassion and then received it so that brings us to our second point which is jesus the king of forgiveness jesus the king of forgiveness because jesus goes on to say at the end of what was read in verse 35 this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart now i think it's worth just mentioning that this verse 35 follows some words about torturing jailers which was mentioned in the verse earlier and so i think it's worth just uh, being aware that jesus he told a story here to illustrate a point and so we shouldn't draw too straight a line between some of the details in the story to God. And so we wouldn't conclude from this that God tortures. He doesn't. This is an illustration of extremes. 200,000 years of debt on one hand and prison in horrendous circumstances in the other. It's just illustrating here that this servant received a harsher penalty than he had originally. But what we do conclude here is that we are to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ from the heart It's a real desire to forgive that's being spoken about here. This is the character of our community. It's a community of compassion and forgiveness toward each other. And the story that we've just heard, it illustrates that. It's a radical compassion and forgiveness that gets illustrated. And that's what we're called to. Because Jesus extends unconditional compassion and unlimited forgiveness to each of us that's what he does without jesus that debt that the servant owed the king it's like the debt we owe to god and i think we tend to struggle to understand how serious it is to ignore god and decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong that's really what's at the heart of sin it's not taking the time to figure god out And instead just deciding that we know best. That other things are more important than he is. That we're more important than he is. And the trouble with that is we never get it 100% right. Far from it. We don't conduct our lives or our affairs the way we were designed to. In a world that God designed. And that's why we see all the hurt and all the brokenness around us. Now if there's no God then there's no problem with that other than a life that's unfulfilling and unsatisfying but if there's no god then really at the end of the day there's no big issue but if god does exist then it is a massive problem because we wrong him whenever we choose to ignore him so if there is a god then we're racking up a huge debt that we can't pay. How can you pay a debt that you owe to an eternal God? But God is a God who is compassionate like the king in the story and he has given us a way for that debt to be dealt with. That's why Jesus walked the earth for a time and we have these factual accounts of his life and we can read the words that he spoke like we've just read. And that's why these words tell us that Jesus is God's son. And he died in our place and he rose again to life. And God's offer of forgiveness that he holds out to us is just to believe that he did it and that he did it for us. See, that first servant in that story, he wanted compassion for himself, but justice too. And God did both of those through his son, Jesus. Jesus took the penalty that we owe by dying in our place. God's offer of forgiveness is just to believe that. The debt paid by Jesus for us. And there what we see is justice and compassion. It's justice and compassion. And for those who believe and are forgiven that debt, it changes the way we regard each other. It changes the relationship that we have with each other. See, if I say I do want to be forgiven through Jesus and I know by faith I am, I can't want that for myself when I've wronged God and then not extend forgiveness to anyone who might wrong me, to brothers and sisters that might wrong me. See, the wrong that we experience ourselves is small in comparison to the wrong done to God. And it helps me to forgive when I think about it that way. I've been forgiven for something far greater than what anyone will do to me. And that's why Jesus says in this last verse, we are to have forgiving hearts. It's because of the forgiveness that we've already received. We're not to be the hypocritical servant in that story, that first servant. It's forgiveness that makes our community work. As I said, chapter 18, it's talked about Christian community over these last few weeks and those relationships within our community will only grow if there's forgiveness because things will happen, won't they? Because we're not perfect. Things will happen and relationships will only be restored through reconciliation and that starts with forgiveness from the heart. It's not an outward forgiveness or a sort of token effort that really just fosters bitterness inside. It's not a forgiveness that starts with, I forgive you, and then finishes with conditions. It's a deep felt forgiveness that's sincere. And that begins the process of restoring those relationships. And that's why it's so important. So in our last point, which is the heart of forgiveness, I thought we'd look at some practical applications for forgiveness. Some practical applications. In our last point, the heart of forgiveness. And there may be people here today that need to begin that journey of forgiveness with others. There may be people here that have wronged you. There may be people in the past, perhaps in other churches, that may have wronged you, perhaps terribly. So here are some thoughts on setting out on that journey of forgiveness. So firstly, as I've said, our forgiveness of others is fuelled because we're forgiven. It's fueled by the relationship that we have through Jesus and because we understand how significant the forgiveness that's been given to us is. And we've been given it because God finds us more valuable than all of the wealth and all the jewels on all the earth. That's how valuable he finds us. And if I know God values me that much, well, other things in comparison don't matter to me quite so much. It helps me to forgive when I look at it that way. And I know personally, when I look deep inside my own heart, I feel like I have a right to feel wronged. Do you know what I mean? Someone does wrong by me, I feel like it's my right to feel hard done by. But when I compare what Jesus has done for me, it helps me give up that right. He brings me forgiveness from God not only for sinning against God but for all the sins that I've ever done to any other person. He forgives me for that. That helps me forgive others. Secondly, it's a journey. Forgiveness rarely comes right there in the instant. It may, but perhaps rarely. And so we mustn't be concerned if it doesn't come in the instant that we're not forgiven by God because it's a journey. And it's a desire for forgiveness that will take us on that journey. The journey will often be long and we'll stumble. But we keep going, looking at what Jesus has done. Now thirdly, there may be people here today who have been grieved terribly, even to the point of abuse, by people who are or have called themselves Christian brothers and sisters. And I don't know what that's like. I've never experienced something that is so awful and something I can only imagine how deeply hurtful that must be. But if that's you, I want to say that forgiveness doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for wrongdoing and particularly for that sort of wrongdoing, there are consequences and there should be. That's why we have the the system of law that we have. And it's right that there are those consequences. And nobody is more angry about those things than God himself. If you cast your mind back to last week, chapter 18, verse 6, Jesus talked about stumbling blocks and he says that people who cause the faithful to stumble, for them it would be better to have a millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned. It's how seriously God takes those situations no one is more angry about those things than god himself and ultimately he will deal with it and until that time we look to jesus to show us what it is to desire to forgive if you remember as jesus hung on the cross this is from the gospel of luke as jesus was being murdered on the cross he called out for the very ones who were doing the killing and he said Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. So here we see Jesus showing us what forgiveness is. Fourth, forgiveness doesn't guarantee reconciliation. I think it's worth remembering that. Reconciliation, for that to be possible, there must be forgiveness and repentance. God has forgiven us through faith in Jesus We turn to him in repentance. It's an acknowledgement that we're sorry and we are reconciled. But without repentance, you can't reconcile. For reconciliation, there needs to be forgiveness and repentance. But forgiveness is always possible. It's hard, but it's possible because that's the part that's in our hands. And finally, God reached out to us first. He reached out to us first, didn't he? We wronged him, but he made the first move. He showed us forgiveness. So we can reach out and show it to others first too. Let's spend some time now and pray for his help to turn our hearts to forgiveness. And I'd like to encourage you to pray for anyone that you need to forgive. I'll give you a little bit of space as I pray to do that. If you ask, he will do it. So let's do that together now as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your reminder of your forgiveness to us through your son, Jesus. Thank you for this reminder of what our fellowship together looks like and for the gentle forgiveness that you encourage between us. Help us, Father, to forgive each other and to be reconciled together. And help us, Father, now as we pray for people that we may need to extend forgiveness to. And, Father, we pray that we might stand out in our community in the way that we deal with each other. Father, through that example that there might be many people who want to know more about their own offer of forgiveness through Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.